we done a talking points thing? For the catapult one? What we're doing about you know, a correction one. Mate, there ain't no correction. Not no correction, just a, a, just deep, a deep dive. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Anesthesia Coffee Break. And in this episode, we thought we'd make a bit of a deep dive into the washout curve with cardiac output and the changes in cardiac output. Um, so we, we kind of talked a little bit about it in the last episode, but this was a really contentious subject. And there's actually conflicting reports on this and conflicting things in Miller's as well, kind of the Bible of all anesthesia. So I thought we'd take a bit of a deep dive with the, as, as always, Dr. Stante, uh, our resident guru here about the first part exam. So, hi Stan, what, what do you think of that? And uh, also, firstly, we'll go through a performance tip. Thanks a lot. Thanks for the introduction. So look, it's been an exciting week. Very exciting week. I don't know whether our audience uh, watches the Super Bowl. Oh, the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, but look, I am so... American. <laughs> uh, so interested, especially with Tom Brady. So for those who don't know, Tom Brady, he's 43 years old. He's had sustained success in a team called New England Patriots over the last... And he's been there at the team for the last 20 years. And what he did was he went to a new team and he brought this new team, which was a losing franchise, to the Super Bowl and won it. And he just brought a whole culture into this new team, into the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yep. And he was able to instill this team ethic, this culture, and really bring that team to the next level. Uh-huh. And, and what I really want to focus on is that aspect of team. Mm-hmm. So... With this exam, even though there's a m- massive individual component to this exam, like you, it's ultimately, you, ha- you have to be the one sitting this exam. You are, you are the one writing the short answer questions. You are the one, you know, circling the, the circles in your MCQs. You are the one talking about this in your Viva. But to get up to that stage, you need a good team around you. That's really interesting. You'd never in a million years think that you could win a game. Oh, if you're playing sport, if you lose, or if the team loses, everybody loses. And just just hearing you say that, imagine this exam was actually a team exam and there's a lot of knowledge out there. Imagine you had to get your whole team through or no one passes. <laughs> that would be a lot of pressure. And that's what's on the line for, for most of these teams. But I, I really wonder, would we all do better if that was the case? So that's a hypothetical. That would be an interesting concept. And the new first part exam. <laughs> <laughs> you'd, have, you'd have to cut some players, I would think, just so that, uh, you know, Ouch. the no, cream no. rises to the top. But <laughs> all for um, one, one for all. But, but look, what I want to talk about is, is that just that whole team aspect. Because look, for those, who follow, for those who follow NFL and know who Tom Brady is, he's not the most talented. Certainly, you would say Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes are a lot more talented in terms of individual skills mm-hmm. and ability but what he has is an intangible quality about him that brings teams together and really puts them up to the next level and the Super Bowl is the ultimate team sport I mean sorry NFL is the ultimate team sport okay and I'm, I'm not saying that uh, this primary exam is the ultimate team sport but there is a team component to it mm-hmm. and what I mean by that is that you have to surround yourselves with good people who are going to elevate you to the next level, who are going to elevate you so that you can pass this exam. 
And it's not just your study group, but it's also the people you choose to interact with. So consultants, mentors, you know, um, peers that have passed the exam pre- uh, previously, get their advice, really latch on to them and seek out and think about it in terms of a team and, and, and use basically their skills to help you become better. So that, that makes a lot of sense. You want to surround yourself with the best people. What happens if in the group you are one of the higher performers? Like, you know, you, maybe you've done a bit of work already. You've got a background in physiology. Maybe your memory is good. Maybe you're that resident physiology, pharmacology or physics and measurement expert. What's, what's the team going to do for you then? So good question. So the way to think about this is, think about this. So Tom Brady, he is, he's considered the GOAT, Okay. He's gone off to a new team and basically he's going to be thinking the same thing that you're thinking. So he's going to be thinking, I've got all these skills. What's this team going to be give, give, give me to allow me to win the Super Bowl? Mm-hmm. But you have to think of it the other way mm. in terms of how can you improve your team so that you can elevate everyone. And by doing that, it elevates yourself. And what I mean by that is teaching. I, I was about to exactly say yeah. the same point. I think that every time you teach, you just learn again. You, Correct. You know, was it to teach is to relearn. And I know that in, in, in our experience, you know, someone's, you know, someone's always good at something. They've read something. They've learned something, a bit more detail. And your ability to teach that to someone else helps them and it helps you. I think we all become better performers at everything just by the process of going through it again and teaching it. And yeah, I can see how that is. 100%. And if you listen to Bruce Arians, the coach of Tampa Bay, he talks about how he's allowed Tom Brady to coach, coach his team. So he's allowed Tom Brady to teach his team. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, they become better. He becomes better. And ultimately, that's what makes them winners. How How can we translate this to your study group? Like what are some facets of good, I guess, good team culture, good team performance factors? What can we tangibly give advice on and maybe some tips for staying away from other bad cultural aspects? So this is a very good question and it has to do with your commitment to the task. So you need to set an example for your group and everyone will follow. So what I mean by setting setting an example is show up on time, do the work that's required of you, be involved with the process because when you do all those things, your group just looks around and goes, wow, that's the standard that I need to be at, mm-hmm. okay? And, and I remember in my study group, that was where, the, where that pressure came from. It's that you would know that your study groups would be answering questions to a high level mm-hmm. and you needed to do the work mm-hmm. in order to match that. And that really motivated you. And that's why I really encourage trainees to join a study group. And it's not because they can't learn this by themselves, but it does create that motivation. And and I think, you know, having that team aspect in this whole process really sets you up for life. And and this exam is is an exam of life because it just teaches you how to organize yourself, how to organize others and how to work as a team. That's so true. And I think about, again, everything we do in in the sporting realm or the physical fitness realm if you want to get something done, you know, that's why F45 and CrossFit does exactly. so well. You're doing it as a team. It's yes. so much easier to turn up and go through a little bit of pain for some subsequent reward if everyone else is doing it. I mean, it's the only way we get through med school and it didn't feel too bad because 
everyone around you is doing it anyway. Yeah, exactly. And look, you'll, you hear stories of individual brilliance sitting in the exam by themselves without anyone um, who passes the exams. And yes, that can happen. You know, you've, you've suddenly got people who are talented enough in this world. So, you know, i.e. Aaron Rodgers, the, probably the most skilled and talented quarterback. But, I, and I'm, I'm not going to say his inability, but he doesn't have that same uh, ability as Tom Brady to elevate his team. And so he's just won one Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's, that's what I want to really focus on is that with who you are studying with for this exam, really dedicate your task, really set the example and really utilize the skills of your team to not just improve yourself, but improve everyone in that group. That's really good. I think that's great advice. And, and even in, the, in that example, even if you could do this, this exam alone, why would you want to? Yeah, I think you make some tremendous friendships. That close bond you get by going through something like this with other people is is probably a bond of a lifetime, Valuable. really. Absolutely, yeah. You still meet up with your study group, you know, even years from now. Go out for dinners. <laughs> so it, it creates a bond, absolutely. That's great. Okay, so that is our performance tip. So your, your team is absolutely vital and it's really something to nurture, nurture the culture and ensure that it is at its best for this exam. That's great. So let's get on to this topic. Yes. So look, <laughs> this, this topic came about because, um, I, and I, I put a lot of thought into that last topic about how morbid obesity um, and how it affects the washout of volatile agents. And I've written my answer. And one of the questions was how cardiac output affects it. And I was quite nebulous about it because all the texts that I've read have been pretty much nebulous about that aspect. But yes. <laughs> So La, so La messages me about, uh, I think, one or two days after the podcast has been released saying, oh, look, Stan. There's, actually, I'll, there's, I'll tell you what I said. Yeah, yeah, all right, you, you, you say. Well, I, I read in Miller's and it was, it's actually quite frustrating because from my point of view, I think we're trying to th- put theory onto very, very complex facets of human physiology and pharmacology. And then I'm reading Miller's, which is also referenced by the you know, Prime Yellow website, um, and people in the examinations committee. So the, the, it, is, it is reference to Miller's. And Miller's you know, isn't great for a lot of things, but it, it is apparently very good. And it actually mentions this, and it provides some modeling. Now, I think my problem is, as, as I'm reading this, the, the explanation to me doesn't actually make that much sense. Um, they refer to things like gas exchange volumes and how that is, you know, causes a dependency on that. And they do say that low cardiac output will increase the washout of volatile agents. But with so many variables and just theoretical modeling, my confusion is how would they really know? And I think you came back and said that actually Miller's did change their, what they've written over time as well. So yes. it's very frustrating, but please go on. So exactly. So when you told me about this, I was like, look, I don't remember reading this in Miller's uh, with, uh, it was, I think it was chapter 20 or chapter 21 at that time mm-hmm. um, when it was written by Eager. Mm-hmm. So I looked it up and I went, Wow, the whole chapter's changed. <laughs> it's written by, 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 by new authors. So the, the new authors are Foreman and uh, someone else. But essentially, they've replaced that whole chapter. And it's not something that I've actually read before. So, so for the audience, in the New Millers, the statement comes in the description in figure 20.5. Mm-hmm. And, I'll, and I'll read out the important bit, okay? So it says, cardiac output, also affects clearance of anesthetics from the lungs in the same way it affects uptake 
In other words, increased cardiac output slows anesthetic clearance. So essentially what it's saying is that at the end of an anesthetic, if you have someone with a high cardiac output, they are going to wake up slower than someone with a slower cardiac output. And it's actually shown graphically in the diagram in figure 20.5. And the reason why they say that, what they're saying is that when you have an increased cardiac output and increased volatile being brought up to the pulmonary lung volume, they are saying that, that there is not enough ventilation to wash out that volatile agent. Okay, so in actual fact, I think what they're trying to describe is relative hypoventilation. And, and I use that word just, just so that conceptually we sort of understand uh, that term in terms of if you, if you have an increased cardiac output, but you don't match it with uh, ventilation, it's a relative hypoventilation. Now, this is the point that I have to just disagree with. And, you know, please correct me. When I think of the washout of volatiles, I, th- I think of it as diffusion and then ventilation. And this is a situation for me when clinically I don't see this as ventilation limited. I see this as diffusion limited. So, for example, when I'm washing out the volatile and I turn my flows up to maybe you know 10 to 15 liters per minute and on 100% oxygen, my FI, I don't see that as ever being above zero. I can always get it down to zero very quickly. And that tells me that ventilation isn't the limiting step here. So what I think what you just said, though, and what um, Millis is saying, that it is the limiting step, that you cannot ventilate enough to wash out enough or you know, get the FI down. So that, that confuses me because clinically I see something different. Yeah. So look, I, I, don't, I don't disagree, but I'm just um, describing what Miller's... What, sorry, what the new Millers is, is describing. So I'll, I'll read you the line yes. which where this came from. So, so there's a line in the, new, in, in the new Millers by Foreman which says, increasing ventilation will affect clearance. See figure 20.4, mm-hmm. okay? And I think- I'm oh, sorry, increasing ventilation will accelerate will clearance? Ac- will, accelerate, yep. will accelerate clearance, okay? See figure 20.4. So I think we, we can all agree with that one, yes? Absolutely. Okay, whereas increased cardiac output slows clearance because more gas exchange volumes are required to remove anesthetic from the larger blood flow. And that's See what figure clinic- 20.5. Okay. Yeah. And and that's what clinically doesn't make sense yes. to you. So it doesn't make sense to you. And look, I, I somewhat disagree with it. Okay. Because yeah. the assumption here is that what you're saying and is, is similar to, and I, and I got to a point to similar what, what you did in terms of that gas volumes here are saturable during the washout phase. Okay, so what that means when I mean when I mean by saturable, it just means that for a given volume, uh, for a given tidal volume, you can only excrete X amount of volatile agent. Yes. In other words, if you want to excrete more volatile agent, you need to increase your ventilation for a given for a given cardiac output. You know, I think conceptually we sort of go look. If the gradient is zero, mm-hmm. you should be able to wash out most of that that's coming into that pulmonary blood volume. As okay. it, yeah, that's right. So the blood concentration to you know, alveolar concentration is very large, you know, X to zero, yep. you should be able to wash out lots and you can clinically achieve, you know, zero in the alveolars just by having high ventilation, high flows and, you know, in, you know increased um, minute ventilation. That's very easy to do. Do you think then that they're using a constant minute ventilation, constant flow model and that's why they're saying a theoretical truth yep. but not a clinical truth? Yeah, so 
Very good question. So look, before I get into that, because I actually ran a lot of simulations and I'll describe the simulations that I ran. Stan, that's awesome. After I, this. I love it that we can be just, you know, in my house <laughs> recording this and you're in Do your house running simulations. Running simulations, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> running real life, oh look, not real life, but simulations. And and look, the, and I think that's the important, that's the unimportant bit that I should point out is that that the graphs that have been described in the new millers by Foreman, they are not referenced to any peer-reviewed research articles Mm -hmm. i believe that he's done them through his own mathematical models Mm -hmm. okay based on whatever formulas but he certainly doesn't describe it and he certainly doesn't reference it so i I don't have access to it but what i do have access to is one called gas man and we'll put the link to this software or yeah so look gas man is a simulator it's been a it was created you know 20 years ago by an anesthetist called uh, James Phillip, in actual fact, an anesthesiologist because he's American. He's from Boston, and he used to be the professor of anesthesia at the Harvard Medical School. Okay, and there's a lot of research that has been done on volatile agents that have been run through Gasman, and it's a model which has the different compartments and the different kinetics involved with um, redistribution involved with it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but before I get into that, and before I sort of talk about the simulations that I ran, that I, ran I want to talk about the old Millers written by Eager. Yes. And what he talks about and the importance of what other factors affecting washout of volatiles. So he writes, and, and this is a chapter from Millers uh, the one, in the one by Eager. He goes, on recovery, the tissue partial pressures are variable. The vessel reach group has a pressure that usually equals that required for anesthesia, that is, the vessel reach group has come to equilibrium with the alveolar anesthetic partial pressure. The muscle group may or may not have the same partial pressure as that found in the alveoli. A longer anesthetic course, two to four hours, might permit equilibrium to be approached, but a shorter one would not. Now, that is important, okay? And then the next paragraph, he goes on to say, the failure of muscle and fat to equilibrate with the alveolar anesthetic partial pressure means that tissues cannot initially contribute to the transfer of anesthetic back to the lungs. That's a very important point. In fact, yeah. In fact, as long as an anesthetic partial pressure gradient exists between the arterial blood and tissue blood, that tissue will continue to take up anesthetic. Now, that to me makes sense. Yes. And, And that to me explains why an increase in cardiac output at the end of a normal duration of anesthetic where your muscle reach where your muscle group has not reached equilibrium to your um, to your central compartment what that means is that it still continues to act as a reservoir to uptake volatile and to basically wash out volatile okay and so for me that was the question. The question that I had to answer was after an anesthetic and also how long would the anesthetic be? So let's say you've got short and long anesthetics. Would there be a difference in terms of cardiac output and the washout of volatile agents when the cardiac output differs from either high or low? Okay. That sounds good. That sounds like a really good summary. Really the question is, how do these peripheral tissues store and release and what are the kinetics around that? 
And really, it's a matter of long anaesthetic or short anaesthetics. Correct, correct. And and look, I want to um, sort of touch back on also the answer that we did in the last episode where we talked about time constants. So remember that the time constants for muscle is about 80, 80 minutes from isoflurane and 50 minutes for desflurane. So um, it, it's going to be over an hour for, for one time constant to, for, the, for the muscle rich group, Okay. Sorry, for the muscle group. The fat group, that's inconsequential because you're looking at over 2,000, you know, one over 1,000 or 2,000 minutes for that. So it's really the muscle, the muscle group that's going to be the main factor in, in whether how changes in cardiac output affect the alveolar concentration of volatile at the end of an anesthetic. Mm-hmm. With, the, with the simulations that I ran, so what I did was um, I had uh, these conceptual models where I had certain scenarios. So time, okay? So time could either be a short anesthetic or a long anesthetic. So for a short anesthetic, I said 30 minutes, okay? Mm-hmm. And then for a long anesthetic, um, I had six hours. And that's pretty reasonable because it takes about 30 minutes for your FA to equal, your, sorry, your yeah. FI and your FA to reach a plateau. Exactly, spot on. Um, and then the other, thing I, the other thing I thought about was the, the graphs that they drew, did they have a constant, I think they had a constant cardiac output and a constant minute ventilation throughout that whole process. But I wasn't, but they didn't actually explain whether their minute ventilation was high or low, okay? And what they had was um, cardiac output high and cardiac output low. What I had was, you had, I, had, I had to have different variations in terms of this model. Mm-hmm. So for the washing part, I had either you had a low cardiac output or a high cardiac output. And either you had a low minute ventilation or a high minute ventilation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and then for the washout phase, again, I had two scenarios, whether you either had a low cardiac output or high cardiac output and minute ventilation, either a low minute ventilation and high minute ventilation. Mm-hmm. All right. So essentially I've got, I've got three variables mm-hmm. with, and each of those three variables have two options. Yes. So, um, so if you actually multiply all of them, I think they were, they were like 32, 32, 32 simulations, which I had to run last night. Just quickly, what, what were those uh, scenarios again? It was okay. So either the um, the anesthetic was long, yep. or short, yep. Either the cardiac output for the wash in, yes, okay, was either high or low, high or low, yep. And the minute ventilation was either high or low, yep, okay. And one more, and then the washout phase. So the washout phase, whether the cardiac output was high or low. So we did, we're doing wash in and wash out. Well, yeah, you have to be because the, the thing is. You have to think about it conceptually in terms of for someone who's got a low cardiac output, you are going to reach equilibrium quickly, but your uptake is going to be reduced. Mm-hmm. And, and this, is what, this is the other concept that I want to touch on, which also can be sort of confusing. And I, and I think the, the confusion comes about because the, the increased drug that you're given. And so if you're increasing the drug that you're given, you're going to have, an incre- you're going to have a faster onset. Okay? Mm-hmm. But we need to understand that increased uptake does not mean a faster onset. Yes. All right, because what we look what we're looking at is we're looking at the drug in the central compartment. Yes, and and the thing is, you can have a large uptake into your whole body, mm-hmm. right? But actually have a slower, fast, slower onset mm-hmm. because what's happening is that it's going off to areas where it's not actually affecting where it needs to affect, which is your brain. That makes sense. Makes sense. Yes. Yeah. And conceptually, it's like, um, and I'll use another example. It's like if you have a big, muscly patient who you're inducing, you're and versus you know someone of 
the same height, but a lot smaller. You're going to use more drug on this larger patient, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean that they're going to go off quick. They're going to go off to sleep quicker than that other patient, correct? Because yes. most of it is just going to be redistributing to their muscle component. Yes. Okay. But you are you are delivering more drug. So, in other words, there is an increase in uptake, mm-hmm. but not a faster onset. So we just need to make that clear. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's like in your example, it's like the effect of increasing cardiac output is like having a bigger person yes. because now their muscles and other groups are getting that cardiac output and redistributing stuff. Yes. Whereas in a you know low cardiac output state, it's going straight to the brain. Correct. Yeah. Spot on. So, so I needed to think about maybe the variables were different if there was less reservoir in the body versus more reservoir in the body. In other words, at, at the point you decided to wash out a volatile, if you had less volatile in the body, would the, would the changes in cardiac output be different in terms of affecting it versus something that had more volatile in the body? Let's say you've got someone with um, a high minute ventilation. You are going to be increasing delivery of anesthetic to the patient, mm-hmm. okay? Which would theoretically mean that you increase uptake. Yes. Okay? Um, conversely, if you have increasing cardiac output, mm-hmm. all right, you're actually going to be taking up more volatile mm-hmm. and, and so you're actually going to be increasing uptake. Mm-hmm. But the effect on the FAFI curve is different. Yes. So with increased minute ventilation, your FAFI curve reaches um, reaches equilibrium a lot quicker because most of the uptake actually stays within that central compartment. But with an increase in cardiac output, even though you've got an increase in uptake, most of it gets redistributed into the peripheral compartments. So yes, it's easy to think about how much you, you have in terms of the start off at, at one point, but the issue is you've got different compartments to think about. You've got your vessel rich group and you've also got your muscle group as well. I think it's important for the audience to understand that I've actually thought about the different scenarios yeah, okay. that are out there. Okay, I, I see. And, and you're right. It, it is hard to describe it through a podcast. Yeah, yeah. And it's actually interesting what I found. So yeah. just to recap, I, I love how thorough this is because you know obviously we're trying to get to a point where we have understanding and stands on some incredible work with simulating all the scenarios so that it makes sense. There's two phases: the wash in and the wash out. We need to, you know, while we're talking about washout, we still need to model the wash-in because that gets us to the starting point before we do the washout. So as he's mentioned, we've done the wash-in with changes in cardiac output, changes in minute ventilation and duration of anesthesia. These all affect the amount of anesthetic in the system before we do the washout. Once we do that, we have a starting point for washout and then we can change the variables of cardiac output and minute ventilation. And then we can come at this answer using these models. So go for it, Stan. Yeah. I, should, I feel like I should publish this, okay? <laughs> but you know what? In this day and age, publication is through podcasting or through, <laughs> you know, YouTube, you know? We don't, we don't worry about our peer, peer review journals. Well, peer reviews through comments. <laughs> <laughs> so look, I, 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 I think we're going we're gonna to write the um, parameters that, that I ran on the comment section. Um, but essentially, a short anesthetic is 30 minutes. A long anesthetic is six hours. A, a low cardiac output state is one liter, one liters per minute. Mm-hmm. A high cardiac output state is ten liters per minute. Mm-hmm. A low minute ventilation state is one liters per minute, and a high minute ventilation state is ten liters per minute. Mm-hmm. Um, the the volatile that I chose to use, or in fact, I only had one choice because um, I didn't have the option. Was isoflurane 
just to keep things standardized, I was running isofluorine at 2% in the simulations with a fresh gas flow of two liters per minute. And the weight of the patient was 70 kilograms. So here's what I need to share with you. So I ran 32 simulations. And when you compare those 32 simulations, you can split, basically split them in half in terms of the washout. So half of them during the washout phase had a low cardiac output. Half of them had a high cardiac output. All right. So I can tell you that a high cardiac output actually causes a faster washout. Actually reduced the alveolar concentration except for one scenario. That's okay. amazing. I'm, I'm so happy to hear that. But now, I'm, now it concerns yeah. me because I don't think that's common knowledge. Oh, no, absolutely yeah. not. So and we're saying something pretty controversial here. We're not saying, well, it's not controversial <laughs> because it's, it's, it's evidence-based. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. If they can use models, I can use models. We can use models. <laughs> that's right. And you know what? I, I, should, I, should send in, I should send in these models. I should yeah. write in, I should send in an email to our dear, dear Mr. Miller. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So, and it makes sense. Okay, and, and this is, so the only scenario where a low cardiac output had a faster washout, and when I say a faster washout, what I mean is had a lower alveolar concentration mm -hmm. than a high cardiac output was when the muscle group was saturated. So let's say a, a lot of anesthetic in there is a long six-hour case. Correct. It was a six-hour case yep. with high cardiac output to start with and, and high cardiac output and high mid ventilation excellent so that's a very specific scenario and that conversation we were having just before um which will actually might be worth having again it's the you know the amount of anesthetic agent delivered to the body doesn't reflect necessarily the anesthetic agent at the effect site so for example a high cardiac output state slows the wash-in curve but it actually redistributes much more amount. The quantity of volatile given to tissues is far more. So that's an important principle there. Yes. Um, and in this case, we're trying to, if, if in the situation, we get as much anesthetic into all the body tissues by high cardiac output, high minute ventilation, and six hours of time, that's the only scenario in the modeling yes. that has a slower washing wash curve with a high cardiac output. With a high cardiac output and, and a fast. And, and, yeah, correct. And it goes back to what I described before from the original Millers from Eager. Yes. In terms of when you have that state, okay, a high cardiac output is actually, actually doesn't do anymore because you can't actually redistribute that anesthetic back into the periphery. So it can't actually mm -hmm. reduce your alveolar concentration. Mm -hmm. does, does, and that makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. And so a high cardiac output conversely actually brings back anesthetic back into the central compartment. And that's why it actually slows down the washout. Mm -hmm. All right. So just to summarize, I'm going, I'm going to read it again. And, and, and I think this is, where, this is where the old Millers from Eager is correct. In his description of the recovery of anesthetic is really dependent on the tissue partial pressures, which can be variable. And he mentions the muscle group, which may or may not have the same partial pressure. And what I found with the simulations through Gasman is that when your muscle group was saturated, that's when that state in terms of the numulus describes where a high cardiac output actually slows your washout. That's so interesting. And I think one of the problems is that we often think of things in a very linear fashion, mm. but this really shows that it's a variable model that 
you know, rising one aspect or one variable can cause changes in different directions depending on the other variables. So I love that it's actually not that simple because that makes a lot of sense. These, These things aren't simple. There's so many variables. And, you know, just to give an answer of low cardiac output does this or high cardiac output does that, just, you know, it just pretends like we know everything that's going on in the body. And it's interesting because we're having this discussion just just now about other aspects of anesthesia. Sometimes we have these nuanced discussions where we think we really know something and really there's no way we're ever going to know this stuff. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, maybe in 100 years with extra technology and whatever we can know this. What matters really is how we act in the situation, not right. having these theoretical discussions. Right. And, 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 you know, the point where we decided to do this topic was because even though we saw this in the text, we knew from our clinical experience, mm. this didn't really hold true, yeah. did it? It's not, not, right. what, not, what, not what we saw you know, with our patients. In other words, for most patients at the end, when they started increasing their cardiac output, I always found that their patients would wake up quicker. And you could argue that, yes, obviously when patients are about to wake up, they get an increase in sympathetic drive and, and <laughs> that, that causes them to wake up. Okay, or, 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 or rather... That, that actually comes because they're actually waking up. Mm-hmm. But I think it actually helps in terms of the, the wake up. And you can actually see mm-hmm. their entitled concentration mm-hmm. is that when they actually start waking up, it's actually, it actually snowballs because then after that, you actually see the entitled mm-hmm. concentration drop even more. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's what, I've, that's what I've seen in clinical practice. Yes. And that's why this was a, something that we can, you know, I think it was very important for us to talk about. And I think it's also very important to acknowledge that I have actually looked at other textbooks Okay, so um, not just one source. So, so Hemmings. These are all the recommended textbooks on the ANSCA website. So Hemmings, Stolting, the other pharmacology textbooks which talk about washout of volatiles. None of them, except for Miller's, has that description for cardiac output. So none of them. This is this seems like a very basic question because we talk about it in many situations, and it's really interesting that none of them even make mention of it because it is complex. It is complex. Correct. Correct. So look. I guess for the candidates out there, and look, honestly, I, 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 I'm hoping that uh, some examiners are listening in too, that they can, they can maybe modify that question because if you get an MCQ question with this, all right, and this is, what, this is where it becomes quite tricky. If you get an MCQ question and it talks about what happens with an increase in cardiac output in washout, to be honest with you, I, I think you would have to play it safe and reference Miller's in this point, okay? Yeah. Even though, even though of, all, of, of, of all that we discussed. But hopefully in the future, this will change with, um, uh, with the knowledge that you know, we've gained from, from doing these simulations. Yes. I would be really excited if the, this question came up and people actually referenced Stante's <laughs> simulations and then the examiner's report said, better answers, consider Stante's simulation in <laughs> Anesthesia Coffee Break podcast. <laughs> well, well, I think, I think what will be interesting is that if, if, we got, if you got this in a vibe, and I think this is where it's really, um, it's a bit of a, um, a skill in terms of where you can actually have that discussion in a Because if you got asked this in a and conceptually that you sort of understand about the redistribution of volatile agents into the other compartments and how they factor in in terms of the washout phase, you can actually describe it quite eloquently. And, and you know what? It actually inherently actually makes sense. 
with this exam, you, in, especially with the Vava, you don't actually need to be 100% correct all the time, but you just mm. need to have your reasoning mm-hmm. uh, in terms of your principles behind your argument. They need to make sense. That's right. And, you know, using all the other factors of answering a question, imagine you were to get this question. You didn't actually know the answer. And, you know, we didn't know the answer really until you've done all this really great work, Stan. Um, but imagine being able to go, well, you know, the amount of volatile in the body equals cardiac output, minute ventilation, time, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then the washout depends on this, this, and this, this. At the end of that, you could say, look, my guess is this. And it's hard to imagine the examiners would fail you on that when you mm. have so much knowledge Correct. that you expressed. Correct. Show you're working. But well done. Okay, so just to <laughs> summarize, okay? So when we talk about the effect of cardiac output on the washout of volatile agents, it has to do with the amount of anesthetic in the tissues or the tissue partial pressures at the end of the anesthetic. So if your muscle group is saturated, a higher cardiac output will actually slow the washout because it will not be able to redistribute that volatile agent away from the central compartment. Okay, makes sense. So it's only when the muscle group is saturated. And the, the only way that muscle groups can be saturated, we know from our time constants of how long those time constants are. You're looking at, you know, an approximate hour or it's going to be long. So you need to have a long anesthetic with a significant amount of uh, anesthetic on board. Otherwise, in most of our normal volatile cases, an increase in cardiac output will increase washout in volatile because of redistribution of that volatile agent. Okay, that's it. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. That's some great work, Stan. So much work and you've modeled it. You know, this is all part of teamwork, really. Team, Let yeah. me spend the time on editing. <laughs> you, yeah. you do all the groundwork because it, <laughs> that's an incredible amount of work. So again, thank you so much for listening. This has been Anesthesia Coffee Break. Please share, subscribe, write any comments that are relevant. And yeah, you can always get us at lahiruandstan at gmail.com. Please send in any questions. And yeah, if you, if you have exam answers you'd like us to talk through, please do so. Thanks very much. See you next time. <laughs>